It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Hey. Hey, how are you? I can, can hear you, you now. Can you hear me now? Yeah. <laughs> small. This is not our first take, guys. No, small technical glitch there. Like we were talking, everything was fine. And we were ready to record. And as soon as I said, okay, let's go, like the mic just stopped. <laughs> so, but I think we've got it fixed now. So um, what I was going to say is we are recording this on Monday, Memorial Day, and it comes out on Wednesday. So I did want to take a moment and just say uh, thank you to all of the service members out there who have served the country and helped in various different ways through all the different types of armed forces and such. Um, thank you so much for your service. And as a shameless little plug for them, you know, if you haven't already checked out Hives for Heroes, definitely go out there and check out Hives for Heroes. It is an amazing organization that takes veterans and pairs them up with mentors and teaches them beekeeping to help actually them reduce their stress and PTSD and all kinds of other aspects and things. So definitely look into them if you have not already done so. I know we've talked about it multiple times on the show um, but I did want to bring that up again, just in case. So, yeah. So thank you all and uh, happy Memorial Day. And everybody else, be mindful of the sacrifices that our men and women are making for us um, on a daily basis. Yes, indeed. I dropped my pin. <laughs> I was trying to figure you out. You are just a hot mess today. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so this will be out of context for, uh, for, well, it depends on whenever people get on Patreon and listen to this, but so there was a posting on Instagram of me with, uh, the lesser amount of bandages on my head from having to go in and do surgery. And today it's just a small, it's down to a small bandage, but, um, yeah. but yeah, concentration is, is a little loopy at the moment. So <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> yes and, and i had the you know i didn't even realize that was happening so i put my foot in my mouth <laughs> i was yeah. like oh i can't think today my brain's mushy <laughs> my brain's mush I was like mine too <laughs> so funny you said that um so today we are going to talk about symbiosis and we're specifically referring to i'm going to title this the name of the, the video is going to be the name of the episode See there, brain's not working. That didn't come out in the right order. I will make the title of this episode the same title as the video, which the video is called Symbiosis. And it is kind of separated out there to put emphasis on the B. But really what this is, if you wanted to put it into layman's terms, is the question as to whether are bees truly vegetarians or are they more omnivores than vegetarian. And it's really easy for all of us to go through this and say, oh yeah, I mean, they're vegetarians. They eat plants, they eat pollen and nectar. You know, all the stuff that they eat is derived from nature and from a plant. So therefore they've got to be vegetarian. And in reality, that's uh, that's 
possibly not the case. And in, and more than likely, it's not the case at all. <laughs> so right. we will post the video in the comments so you can go and actually check that out and watch the videos so you can see uh, kind of everything we're talking about here. I want to say it's it's maybe 18 minutes long. So not super long, but it's super fascinating. So Well, one of the things I thought was, it's going to stay with me for a long time, is the expression meaty microbes. Meaty microbes, right. Yeah. So we have already, we already knew, unfortunately, through, you know, the, the learning the hard way kind of thing, but bees that have been out foraging and are come into contact with fungicides and then they have these issues and everything and we're trying to figure out why and some of the research had pointed towards the fact that well there's this other process that happens whenever the fungicide possibly interacts with a pesticide and creates like a bigger problem but we also know that they use different types of funguses to ferment the pollen and actually crack open those pollen shells to make more of the nutrients readily available to them. So we already kind of had that aspect going on, but there's new research that is shown in this little docu video where there's a whole microscopic universe that is taking place inside the colony, inside the cells. And that little micro universe is radically changing the stuff that's in there. So not just the funguses that we've already suspected and have proof of, but other types of microbiome, little types of bacterias and other little microscopic critters that are in there eating away at stuff and actually converting this nutrient into that nutrient or taking something that's super long and chelating it down into smaller, more easily absorbed nutrients of that aspect. So it's really funny to me to try to have like a high level smart conversation <laughs> at the moment because I don't feel very smart. Um, so anyhow, so it's, it's this fascinating aspect of this tiny little microcosm that's going on. And the thing that they point out in the video is that the bees, they're consuming this. As they're consuming the pollen, they're consuming all this microbiome. So those meaty microbes you know, like, so, first yeah, off, what, what is bacteria? Does that count as an animal? <laughs> it's not a plant. So, you right. know. <laughs> so yeah, there's all kinds of things going on. And what they're saying is basically those microbes might actually be what the bees are looking for over the pond. And when we're talking bees here, we're mostly actually talking about native bees, but the principles are probably similar when it comes to honeybees because of their their the way they function is fairly similar except for the social organization levels. But the pollen, we've always thought as beekeepers, the bees are getting the nectar for their carbohydrate sources, their energy, their fuel. And then the pollen is for their protein sources, the, what they need to build bodies to make you know, cells and grow their larvae. And, um, but it turns out from uh, that research that you mentioned is there are actually uh, a lot of microbes and fungi that are mixed with that pollen when they uh, harvest it, they bring it back and feed that to their young as part of the uh, ecosystem of the uh, microbiome that, that gets fed to them. And, and it's just kind of uh, interesting to see that it's always been considered to be purely vegetarian vegetarian food, when in fact they were using that term meaty microbes that was so fascinating because it, it sounded like they were looking for 
more carnivorous kind of um, protein yeah. uh, and, and not necessarily the pollen. They were saying almost like the pollen was a byproduct of what they were looking for, which was actually those mini microbes and those, those, um, those bacteria, those things that were going on in that, that environment. So, so the, the, the interesting little concept of are the bees really looking for those microbes or are they getting them by accident? It's, it's a 50, 50 and it can completely be flip-flopped. It could be that, yeah, they're going through and they're eating the pollen and the microbes just happen to be there because the microbes are feeding on the pollen, but then that also gives them this boost of all these different nutrients and stuff. But they also suggest or theorize that it could be that the bee is actually seeking out those microbes and the pollen's just in the way. And so they're, yeah. they're eating it as they go. And so there's, there's like, there's still a lot of research that needs to be done. There's still ongoing research that that specific team is doing. And it's really just kind of fascinating to think about it. But when you pull back and you look at what they ended up doing is they, they looked at first bumblebees and then they looked at solitary bees and then they moved on to uh, nice. mason bees because the mason bees living in a wooden structure that could be easily manipulated made them easier to study instead of having yeah. to dig up yeah. these ground nesting insects to try to study those. But what they found though, is that if they took pollen and they sterilized the pollen, but they did not change anything else, those bees came out if they survived. That was the first part. If they even survived that larval stage in the pupation, they came out weaker. They came out deformed, diseased. They had all kinds of issues. They didn't perform as well. They and were starving. Exactly. It was, it was this drastic change. And then the bees that they didn't do anything to and they allowed all those microbes and fungi to be in there, they thrived and they came out and they were just so alive and so, you know, loss of her words. <laughs> yeah, they, were, they were thriving, yes. And so basically the only difference is that they had sterilized pollen uh, and uh, non-sterilized pollen. And I believe, they didn't say it outright, but I believe they sterilized using UV, UV lights or something like that. Like when you sterilize the bacteria in your um, water collection system. Your yeah, they didn't, they didn't use any type of chemicals or anything to do it no, because they didn't want to change the composition. The they just wanted to make sure there was nothing else living quote unquote inside of it so basically pollen to pollen one had microbes the other one didn't and the one that didn't have microbes made for sickly non-thriving uh much lower survival rate kind of bees the ones that had the the microbes it's almost like they had what they were needing to thrive that's what they were looking for without those microbes they were not able to really thrive or even survive to the rate of i think it was for uh, some of those nests there was like a difference for it might have been for bumblebees or some bumboetus you know bees um 12 only would come out with that and 43 uh, would come out with the, the microbladen pollen, a huge difference in uh, uh, failure to thrive on the one end and, and, and thriving on the other end. Yeah. And there's, there was some things you had mentioned, like a comment on there kind of alluding to the fact that this was a hard leap or, you know, it was kind of a far stretch in there, but in reality, it's not because if you think about it in nature, if even as us, as humans, if we lived off the land, the way that all of the micro and gut biome that we have inside of us gets in there 
is from the plant matter that we eat because it's on your fresh fruits and vegetables that have been grown out in nature. And when you consume it, well, then it populates your gut and your colon and things like that. And it adds to that process. So the bees are coming into contact with us out in nature, assuming that they're in an untreated natural environment. Obviously, if they're in the almond orchards, that's not going to be the case. If they're in apple orchards, if those people treat those apple orchards with fungicides and other things, that's not going to be the case. So the bees that are out there foraging in the wild, they're coming into contact with these different types of fungi and microbiome, and they're bringing that back in. And then they're purposely adding their own enzymes. They're adding a little bit of the nectar. They're fermenting it. They're letting it go through this natural process. It's almost in a way, it's kind of like when they make bee bread, it's like us making like kombucha, you know, like right. it's a symbiotic relationship between bacteria and yeast that actually allow you to create the mother that then turns that liquid from a tea with sugar into this probiotic drink called kombucha. So it's a very similar kind of process that the bees are doing. And it's very fascinating to think that, you know, us, like if you were feeding a pollen substitute, well, that pollen substitute is not natural. It wasn't derived from nature. It was something that we ground up, wasn't pollen to begin with, probably is going to be sterilized because they don't want anything in there. You don't want nothing possibly growing. So you take that and the bees take it and they put it into their colony. The only thing that they can do is add their enzymes and add a little bit of the nectar, but all the rest of that stuff that would have been found in nature is now missing. Yeah, so basically people tell you nutrition, 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 which is true. But then they end up pushing those soft sugar bricks and those uh, pollen supplements and pollen patties, which you're right, is often not even pollen. A lot of it is actually soy. And, and uh, there's research out there that shows that that soy pollen supplements are actually toxic to the bees. Yeah, soy's but even not good. beyond that, the nutrition is not there. That's not nutrition for them. And, they, and if this research is proving to be correct, that kind of uh, comforts that, uh, that symptom, that, that um, thought that they are looking for something else in addition to the pollen and maybe even potentially just for that additional something. Yeah. The um, comment that somebody had made was that it was tan tangential, like, oh, it's far-fetched. Well, I, I mean, I tend to agree with you. I think it totally makes sense because everything is related and, and we have our gut microbiome, especially is very sensitive to that kind of things. But what was interesting to me is that They've always said, you know, oh, well, the fungicides, they've been tested and they're innocuous to the bees. They don't do any damage to the bees. That might be true of the adult bees, but it doesn't really look into the whole larval stage and what they're being fed. And if those fungi, which are inoculated, that they're present on the pollen itself, but they're also in some cases inoculated by the bees themselves. I mean, uh, the bees, they have some fungi on the top of their head when they pack it down in the cells, they, you know, they help inoculate the, the, those pollen that they bred even more. So I think that's something that uh, they're, they're onto something. And I think it does matter. And then when we spray fungicides in entire crops, uh, we might be doing a, a lo whole lot of harm to our bees, not necessarily the adult ones, but their next generations. Yeah. And the, the study itself is specifically, again, focusing on solitary bees, native bees, not honeybees specifically. And there's, there's a couple of aspects to that that kind of makes sense too, because one, honeybees, we're always out there manipulating it and doing all kinds of other stuff with it. But the honeybee itself 
actively takes care of its young. Bumblebees also actively take care of their young, but the rest of the solitary bees don't play an active role in it. They go out there, they get the nectar, they get the pollen, they take it in, they make a pollen nest, they lay that egg in it, then they seal it off and they do it again. They never come back and they never touch it. So that pollen that's in there, all of that stuff is growing on it. All of that stuff is feeding on it. It's changing it. And then the larva hatches and the larva begins eating all of that stuff. So it's getting everything inside of it that it needs. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the honeybee world, again, we do a lot of manipulation to them. So it's a little bit harder to know what's really going to go on. But one of the things that the honeybees do that the other native bees do not is they eat the pollen and then they use that protein to actually create other food sources from themselves, from their own glands that they then regurgitate and feed to their larvae. So they're actively feeding them. They can kind of have a little bit more control over some of those things if something's missing right. and whatnot. But the solitary bees, you know, they're they're the ones that oftentimes get overlooked in all the other stuff, especially when it, you talk about beekeeping in general, you go straight to honeybees. You forget about all the other little fuzzy critters out there, you know, four thousand different species of bees in the United States alone. That's you know a lot. Why? <laughs> you know why? It's because they don't make us for the most part money, right? There's they, no yeah, they can't be commercialized value to them as much. Maybe some of the ones that are um, pollinating some of the crops, but other than that, that's why there's not that much research. Yeah. Uh, to your point, yeah, that bee milk is uh, often what's getting so it's already a transformed product. So they have an opportunity to uh, make up for some of, the, of those issues that the pollen, the bee bread itself might have. Uh, the other thing that the honeybees do that I find fascinating is that if that bee bread is too far gone or contaminated, they they choose a behavior that's called entombing. They will seal off those uh, cells with the bee bread so that they're not to be used again. It's like the pyramids, right? They're entombed. Don't touch that or a curse will come out. Kind of yeah. Thing. So I have seen, this is way off in left field, but I have seen entombing in a very interesting situation where a colony was underneath a shed and an exterminator had sprayed the white powder up underneath there, like a seven dust, basically, up into the colony to try to kill it. I don't know if it has successfully killed that colony or not. What I do know is that later the homeowner called us to come out and do a removal because the bees were still there or had returned, you know, and as I'm going through doing this removal, there was this massive wedge of wax that was kind of like all enclosed on itself. And when I cut that out, all this white powder came spilling out oh. everywhere, but the bees had literally encased it. That whole section that was full of the powder, they had built over the top of it and enclosed the whole thing. So, so the powder was separate from the colony and couldn't come into contact with it. And it wasn't until I was cutting comb out that I actually ruptured that. And this big old thing of, of powder came you out of there. I've been so happy. I was, yeah, I was like, <laughs> four letter words <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. because yeah. then of course that powder gets all over the equipment if it gets into the vac it's going to kill all the bees you know yes. and now your contaminants your equipment is contaminated so yeah it was that's not a great scenario but it was the interesting aspect of it to me was that the bees took this thing that they recognized as dangerous mm -hmm. and they entombed it they they closed it off and sealed it up so that it could not contaminate the rest of the colony that's amazing they're so smart the it fact is. that they could even tell 
Um, I don't know how they figured it out. Maybe some, they could tell some of the bees were getting sick or something, but it's amazing that they do that. Yeah, it's, it's honestly, the bees, them they're highly intelligent for a tiny little insect. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's, uh, I thought that it was also great that they did some research about the native bees. There's not enough. Right. I mean, from that standpoint, we need more of that and more awareness onto the native bees because the, the, the honeybees are the canary in the coal mine. That's what everybody looks at. And uh, there's so many more pollinators of all kinds and some are very plant specific. Um, so we just need to be mindful. Yeah, they talk about that. I, they touch on it very briefly in the video about how there are different bees that have specifically evolved along with certain flowers so that that bee is very, very much focused on that one flower and specialized to pollinate that flower. Um, there was a, a another little side note in there that I thought was really kind of interesting where they talk about bumblebees and where bumblebees will, if there's not enough food, and they need the pollen so that they can feed their babies, but the plants aren't there yet. They have a way of literally stressing out tomato plants. They they almost equated it to raping the tomato plants, <laughs> where they go through and they they do this specific thing to stress out the tomato plant, which causes the tomato plant to bloom way earlier than it should have normally, so that they can get that pollen and take it and go start their their colony up. You know, and that's that's also another one of those really interesting specialized kind of things where the, the plants and the bugs are interacting with each other. And it's it's crazy. You know, it's like this is not bug related. Um, and I don't know why I'm saying bug now instead of insect or bee, but whatever. Uh, but there's there's yeah, there's a bunch of stuff going all around right now about fungi being able to communicate and having its own language and you know, being able to potentially say up to 50 different phrases to the network through the mycelium network. Mycelium, you know, Dr. Stamets research you're talking about? Uh, I don't think it came from him directly, no. Um, but he is, Dr. Stamets is also, you know, he's huge into mushrooms and how it can interrelate and possibly help with bees and whatnot. But this was a, this was a different thing. Like they were looking at research on how certain plants can communicate certain things. And then they started looking into mushrooms and fungi and they found that they can communicate and they can communicate over a wide spectrum of distance and they can communicate very specific things. So it's very fascinating because there you're talking about a fungus and it is communicating something. And then you jump back out there and you look at the bees and mm -hmm. often you stop and you're like, well, how did they know that that powder was dangerous? And then how did they communicate to them? Well, you have the bees that are dealing with the Asian hornets. And they figured out that certain fecal matter would ward off the hornet. So they go out there and they collect poo. And then they sprinkle that around the entrance of their hive to mask the scent of the hive. They really throw it at the front of the hive. Basically, know? yeah. So, so again, on a level of communication, how does that work? How does a little insect bee tell another bee, I think we need to go get some shit? Yeah. It's like, hello, how do you convince them to do that? And now that you've got it, this is where I want you to put it. So it's not even just like, we need to go collect this substance because we've talked before about how if they're nutrient deficient in a specific aspect, they can shift their entire colony to right. go find that specific nutrient 
They can detect down to the molecule. So we know that they have that specialization, but that's not a food source. And that's no, not a propolis source. Not that's something There's that's no completely, reward. completely out of the spectrum of a bee should be messing with it. And then, so now one, you've got them recruiting to go get it. And then you have them somehow strategically knowing where to put it, right. which gives you some sort of forethought because they know this masks the smell. And if we put it around here, it will ward off this thing. So they're actually thinking about a future intended consequence. Not mm -hmm. just, what There's would you say, reactionary. It's not just reactionary, it's strategy. So. Mind blown, right? Mind it's blown, yeah. Amazing. Well, they will also do that to go and fetch uh, the medication that they need, right? For their yep. immune system, their social immunity. They'll go and fetch medication based on the compounds that they know they're needing for the environment changes or the, their health. Uh, so, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. So when you put all of that into perspective, then it's not as far-fetched to look back at the beginning of this conversation and say, oh, maybe the bees are purposely cultivating these types of things because that possibly, at the very least, is 50-50 of what they're wanting in there, or they need those things to do some sort of microscopic change in chemical reaction to make the food more readily available and more nutrient-dense for them. Or maybe they really do want those fatty microbes, those, those meaty little microbes, because they're getting something from the microbe itself. Like, who knew? Well, and that's the other thing. They might get the pollen in quantities and even in diversity and still suffer from the agrochemicals and especially the fungicides that, they're ex that the pollen is exposed to. So it's just, there's so much still to research, but I, I, uh, I think they're onto something. I do too. I do too. So definitely go out there. The link is in the description of this episode. Click on it, watch that episode, that, that video on YouTube, symbiosis, and uh, prepare to be fascinated. That's right. It's not even that long, and it's still mind-blowing. Yes. Yeah, it's just the, because it's, you know, well, if this, then that kind of like, it leads to this chain of thought that just makes you stop and stare and wonder. Yeah. And, and instead of trying to prove something is needed uh, or you prove that if it's not there then there are consequences and that's one way to do this so thinking out of the box and and just again it's all about unintended consequences and thinking out of the box that's right that's um i was I literally gonna wrap this up but it made me think about it was what 2015 14 for the first time ever, we realized that royal jelly does not create a queen bee. I know, it's not that long ago. And, and it, you know, it was like, but that's the simple explanation was this is the only thing she ever eats the whole time she's developing. Therefore, this must be responsible. But in reality, it was the absence of the other stuff. And so that goes right back to the, if it doesn't have this, what happens? That's and, right. you know, so her only eating royal jelly meant that she never comes into contact with the, the bee bread and pollen and nectar and honey and none of the brood food. It's mm -hmm. just royal jelly. And because of that, she doesn't become stunted. She actually fully develops. She has different organs. She's got different pheromone signatures to her. But if she were allowed to eat that other stuff, things change. Right. So now you have this whole scenario where they looked at something in the natural environment of what was there. And then they said, what happens if that natural biome is not there? Mm -hmm. It had bad results. 
That's right. So, I mean, that's impressive. Very impressive. So again, check it out. And we, uh, we will look forward to seeing what you think if your mind was just as blown as ours. <laughs> yep. I mean, not literally, hopefully, because, you know, you've got that little bandage. On I know. Mine will just blow head, out right? the side at this point. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning in for another beekeeper chat with Natalie and I. I hope you enjoyed and we uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. So until then, be good. Be mindful. (laughs) Bye bye. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support to all our Hive Jive junkies out there. You truly are the bee's knees. (laughs) 